It's been a second. Here we are. And uh, had to take a little time out for the summer, take a little summer break and work some stuff out. But hey, man, <laughs> during that time, we've kind of been on two different paths of self-discovery here. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I must say that, you know, kind of like what you've kind of been into these last couple of months is is very intriguing and i feel like it's, it's, only, it's just... only been a couple it's only been a couple of weeks so we're talking about okay. psilocybin which is a psychedelic and when people hear psychedelic they think of lsd, LSD and they're thinking about well, the 60s done, and yeah i've done lsd many times as a teenager and this is a totally different experience i mean lsd you go into wild hallucinations i'm not even saying that lsd is a bad experience i think if you microdosed lsd you would have similar benefits to what you get with psilocybin because if you take too much psilocybin, it feels like a weak LSD trip because I took a high dosage one time just to feel it. Mm-hmm. And I definitely hallucinated for probably about two hours, but not in a really negative way. Things just were vibrating and felt more felt more alive. Colors mm-hmm. looked more vibrant. But what I've found with psych- psilocybin, which is a psychedelic derived from mushrooms, so it's a natural compound, it's not synthesized in any way, is that... It, it, is, it has been by far the most effective thing I've ever taken for my mental health. And that's saying a lot because people who know me know I do a lot for mental health. My training, my business, hormone optimization, of course, all of those things have been useful, but all of those things were just coping mechanisms. They never got to the root cause of the problem. So it allowed me to handle the depression better, but the depression was never going to go away. And honestly, I accepted it as just, this is just my life condition. I'm always going to feel this way and I'm just going to have to persevere in spite of it now that was what i accepted because it didn't seem like there was any alternative to that i've never been interested in ssris because they just make you numb and i don't want to feel numb you know i want to feel life whether it's sadness or pleasure or joy i want to feel those things i don't want to be numb you know when my father died and my mother died i didn't want to be numb i wanted to take in the totality of that sadness i think that's important for healing it's also part of just the human condition that's unavoidable everyone's going to experience that at some point so there's no point distracting yourself or trying to block it out, compartmentalize it in some way. None of that stuff is healthy. But what psilocybin does is it allows the brain to communicate, both hemispheres of the brain to communicate more effectively. It makes you way more introspective, but in the best way possible. Meaning that I was up, I've been up till three in the morning, just thinking every night since I took it. And I don't say that in a bad way. Like it's anxiety. It's just that I'm enjoying this introspection so much. I don't want to go to sleep. You know, it feels amazing to go outside in my backyard and look at the night sky, listen to music. I'm hanging out with the dogs. It feels incredible. I mean, I was like, look at the sky. It looks amazing. I, I could sit there and watch it for hours. Right. So you just feel really interconnected in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm telling you, my mood has never been better since doing this. And I feel that that weight of depression that just beats you down. I feel like that's gone. I feel really light on my feet. I feel free. And yeah. for someone like me who's been through serious childhood abuse, that's a big relief because all those of us that were sexually assaulted as kids, that that's a lifelong struggle. It's not something that you just get over one point. A lot of times you get bad advice from people that'll say, look, man, you're almost 50. You know, that happened when you were five, you know, get over it. It's like, well, you didn't go through it, motherfucker. So don't tell me what to get over. It's like when people used to tell me, oh, your face doesn't look that bad. You know, it's, it's like, oh, that makes me feel better. It doesn't look that bad. <laughs> right. I used to be insecure about people seeing my burn scar. And then, then I was like, it's easy for you to say, you know, it's not a big deal because you, you don't wake have up it. with it every day. Yeah. 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 If you're, especially women telling me that I was like, oh, really? Like if you had this on your face, you wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't kill your confidence at all. 
please. My mom would say the silliest things. My mom would say, just put on the suit and just put on the shirt and die and no one will see anything. I was like, mom. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, first of all, a shirt and tie is not going to cover my face. Okay? <laughs> you know you know what will work is a mask Bill wore during the pandemic. You know, I should have done that. You know, I could have been progressive ahead of the time. <laughs> I'm just going to wear a mask everywhere I go. You know, this is going to be everyone oh, gonna be in about 20 years. You know? That was so left field. I'm like, what? Huh? That's the kind of dumb shit she would say. <laughs> One, one time my brother, my dad, and I were talking about human trafficking and how terrible it is and all that. And Roger's going on and on about these poor kids. And then my mom interjects, but you like kids, Roger. And my Roger's like, what are you talking about, mom? <laughs> to my, to my, that is not an appropriate response yeah, in this yeah. conversation. Roger's like, what are you trying to say? That if I'm, someone's I'm, listening, that, to my, what are you trying to say? the tail end of that conversation. Yeah, yeah, Wait exactly. a minute, Epstein Jr., what, what does that even mean? What are you trying to say? That, that I'm some kind of human trafficker myself? It's like, what the fuck are you trying to say there? It's like, come on. This is why I had a hard time ever talking. I'm, I'm convinced my mother was sexually assaulted by her father. I just, I just have a real sick sense about this. I'm telling you, every time, every time someone confesses to me about childhood abuse they've been through, a hundred percent of the time, I already knew that they'd been through something before they started talking. I can just right. feel it. I can see it in their eyes. I can see the way they carry themselves. I can hear it in their voice. Their I just language. have like a step. My, my, yeah. my. I, I mean, without exception, anytime someone confesses to me, I already knew. I already knew what's. I already know what's coming. Mm-hmm. That's why I can just feel it. That's just where I'm at. So I know she went through some shit, and it, it's a long story about everything else that qualifies that. But I, but I know she went through some shit, and it's very common in India. It's very common. You don't everywhere. talk about it, you know. It's, just it's like... really common in India where everything is about optics. So even if mm-hmm. even if a father is raping the daughter, the family's not going to say shit because they don't well, want to. That's, that's just not Indian culture, bro. That happens in Black culture too. You yeah, know, it's just oh, like, know. you know, you, you, you'll, you'll know what's going on. You know, the uncle's doing this shit, but you're like, yeah, not, you'll have the, the mother, you know, who's the sister, you know, this uncle that's doing it, whatever. And it's like, okay, you, you don't say that. You, he, your uncle loves you. Why would you say something like that? Because God forbid her well, brother. A... No, sorry, go ahead. No, it's like, God forbid her brother's doing this type of thing because then they're so worried about what people are going to think about her, you know. You let you 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 let this happen to your child. You didn't protect him, or who's to say that you're not the same way? Y'all siblings, you know, you came from the same person. It must be in you too, you know. So they're more focused on themselves and then their, their child who's going right. through the stuff, you know. Well, I'll so, tell you, I mean, I, I have a friend who's she's half black, she's half white, and she was sexually assaulted by her father, a white guy, and her black mom didn't do jack shit about it. She knew what was happening, didn't do a fucking thing about it. And she then that could also that could also be for you know that could also be for economic reasons because like you know that girl you you bring that stuff up because there's been situations like that it was like well I'm not gonna say anything because he's taking care of us because they put themselves in a position where you know they this person is taking care of everything and you know just like any abuser you know that's what ends up happening that's why most abusers make sure that they are the sole provider for everything so that's therefore true. and so therefore you're at their my, beck my and father call. was extremely emotionally he wasn't physically abusive to my mother but he was extremely emotionally abusive and he she basically had stockholm syndrome where she mm-hmm. was just yeah you know she was that's why she, that's what put her in an early grave was all of her all of his abuse you know in his mind he wasn't abusive because he didn't physically abuse her but the emotional abuse is just as bad if not worse yeah exactly. it really took a toll on her and it was also very unhealthy for a child to see 
his father talking to his mother like that. Well, yeah, because now that's your frame of reference. You, you think like, okay, maybe is this normal? Is this how I'm supposed to be? You know, and so well, Roger, Roger used to talk to my mom very disrespectfully to the point where Carol was shocked. She's like, I can't believe Roger talks to your mom like yeah, that. You know, I was like, well, he's just modeling my father. Because Roger never took upon himself to be the kind of man he wants that he should be. You know, I I I didn't want to be like my father. I didn't want to be like my grandfather. I didn't want to be like really any man that I knew growing up. I wanted to be, I, I drew more inspiration from TV characters like yeah. fucking Jack Bauer and Connor McCloud and Highlander and you know people in movies. You know that was I had more inspiration from that kind of shit. That had more impact on me than the actual men right. in my life. Now, so with but with my mother. Oh man, what was I going to say about that? No, no, back to this friend of mine. Yeah, so she, so she was sexually assaulted by her father. Her mother didn't do anything. To this day, she doesn't feel accepted by black people. And I don't think it's because black people don't accept her. I think it's because of her own hang up. Yes. You know, she has animosity towards black people because her mom never saved her. And even though her father was the one who raped her, she is desperate to be accepted by white people. She keeps dating abusive white guys that treat her like shit. She's in the white corporate world where she wants to, she talks like a white girl. If you talk to her on the phone. I mean, the frame of reference is, you know, it was a white man that treated her like shit. And it was a father, you know, but in her mind, you know, who knows that abusers like to play this mind game where they're they're saying they're doing this because they love you. And when you're a child and you're, you've been programmed, you've been groomed to think that. And so that's what you expect. That's what love looks like, you know, whereas, whereas the mother, and he, he, he may have been dropping jewels and like, you know, mommy doesn't love you as much as daddy does. And you say this stuff and everything to the point you're hypnotized by that. And you believe that, you know, so, and there's no telling what else he threw in there. Hell, he may even say that, you know, you know, people that look like mommy don't care for you the way daddy does. You know, we'll yeah. always take care of you. you. There's so many ways that the mind can be manipulated like that. And trust me, it can be done the opposite way, too. It can be, you know, a black father doing it with a child, you know, when the mother's white. It doesn't even fucking matter. You know, at the end of the day, it's just an abuser and a victim. That's what here, here's, really the, here's the thing, right? I can tell her all the right things, which I did. I can I can say this is the situation. This is why you feel this way. I can say all the right things, but she has to believe it. And she didn't. So my advice oh, went no. Exactly. Oh, yeah. therapists, therapists have given me all the right advice too. They're saying all the right things on how to get over child abuse. Everyone, it's not like there's there isn't good advice out there. There is good advice out there. But if you don't believe it, which I never did, it never it never goes anywhere. What psilocybin allows you to do is actually believe it. I was about to say one well, thing now, is like now, now thing you're helps. giving yourself the message. It's no longer coming externally. You, your higher self, is telling you this shit. And you believe it because you can feel it in your core. Because otherwise, I mean, the, the best way to deal with things a lot of times, and you don't want to hear this, is you got to face those things head on. You tell me, and that's when you that's when you have to feel it. You know, a lot of people are not in that position. You know, they're not the person may be dead and they can't really deal with it or whatever. You know, so they don't know how to do it, and then they, you know, they can kind of be in a situation like you know what you're doing with you know psilocybin. You know, where it opens that up. And, and reaches into those well, chambers well, of the mind that's been reaches in the chambers of the mind that haven't been tapped into, or you didn't even know you had access to, or even how to access those. You, it's even if you know, it's like I know it's in there. I just don't know how to get there. And, you know, yeah, and so that's what that it's impossible to get there without. I mean, for most people, it's going to be impossible to get there without some kind of psych- psychedelic. I mean, in my opinion. Some people can get there through meditation or other means. I'm not one of those people. That, yeah, I'm, so I'm not, it was I, funny because uh, I'm, I'm not wired that way. Well, that was the thing about me. You know, I was telling Paulette, you know, that, you know, when you um you sent me the video, we were talking about that, and um and so then I said, I, said, I think it's gonna be good for him. I was like, you know, I was like, I said, I don't necessarily think it'd be for me because I 
go through that. I'm I'm one of those people that can get through that in meditation. Like I tell her the things I go through when I'm meditating, and she just looks at me like sometimes like I have some like she's like, wow. I've done that. I've never gone there, you know, and never seen things like that or whatever. I'm like, I said, well, I said, and, but at the same time, I was telling, I said, I said, in this situation, I haven't really dealt with something as traumatic as Mike has. I said, so I said, I've, I've had some things happen and whatever. And, but as I, and I, I've had, I had an environment where you encourage it to deal with the shit, you know, it's like, it's like to deal with unharsh truth. I didn't have people that went around lying. You know, except for this thing I just told you about before we got on the call. Yeah, I kind of touched on or whatever, you know, but I I, I kind of get it. I didn't get to go in depth with that with you. And that wasn't necessarily something that had to deal with me, but it's something to do with my mom, you know, but I, I get it. And I also get just with the time period in which he came up and why. I think that's why it doesn't bother me as much. It just makes me have to question a lot of things now. And it's, it's kind of like um. It's like somebody accidentally hit the reset button on my life, <laughs> you know, like shit, like oh, just as I was getting to a level, you know, in a video game, and then somebody just like starts it over. So I yep. got to build build up from there. So that's the only issue that I'm having. But at the same time, it's something that's like okay, now I'm checking out some things. So I know people are listening, like what are you talking about? So I know I don't want. I know we were talking about it privately, but I get it. But getting back, you know, to this whole situation, I said yeah, and so I, you know. When you send me that video, then I end up going through the rabbit hole. I end up watching um Michael Pollan when he was on Joe Rogan's show. And so it's a little bit, it was a much longer and more in-depth conversation compared to the video you sent me. And um and I've had it made me reflect on some of my friends who actually like back in college or whatever, who would do like, you know, mushrooms and you know, now they weren't microdosing <laughs> and they probably should have, <laughs> you know. But you know, I just it made me reflect back to them. And then I think about one of my friends who I you know, just like we were talking about, like you just mentioned, like with Chester and Chris Cornell, I, you know, I was thinking about this one friend, he ended up committing suicide and, you know, he had like, he had, he went through a lot of mental stuff, went through a lot of abuse or whatever. And I just think about how, whenever the friends that he was running with, not necessarily us, but the friends, the other friends he was running with, you know, they would do mushrooms or whatever, but he never would. He just thought that weed was enough. You know, I was like, Shit, that's like the wrong thing, really. Sometimes it, you know, it, it with the paranoia and everything. It's not enough, and it definitely doesn't provide any introspection. That oh, fucking you think like, it is? You're like, oh, you think you're being deep when you're smoking weed? I'm like, nah. Well, look, look, I'm, a, I'm. Everyone knows I'm a big weed fan. Okay, so I, that's undeniable. But weed to me is a nighttime ritual to relax after I've gotten a lot of shit done. That's what the way I look at weed. Right. It's definitely not something I would take first thing in the morning, and it's definitely not something I would take if I wanted to have a productive day. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I take it as a reward. It's like, hey, I got my workout in, worked on my business, walked now relax, dog, had dinner. Now it's time to kick back on the couch, watch 24, Spartacus, or some other show, pop an edible, listen to some music, and fucking unwind for the right. evening. To me, yeah. it's a nighttime ritual. It's, a, it, it's, not, it's not even in the, the psilocybin high. Is, it's not even in the same ballpark as a marijuana high. It's right. completely different. It's totally different in the best way possible. People that don't like marijuana high will like psilocybin. It's not even in the same ballpark. Yeah. There's no paranoia. And I mean, maybe if you take a high dosage, that could happen. But if you do it responsibly, you take a micro dosage, but you, you get it. You, you just feel really good and colors are more vibrant and people look better. You know, it's like, it's like you just become way more observant. 
Now, those that may take a high dosage and, you know, think they're hallucinating, like, no, that just proves that there are even darker crevices in your mind that you're not trying to deal with. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, right. it's like, well, now, well, now here it is. You can't run from it now. Oh, look, I took a high dosage. I had a blast. I, I, it didn't take me to a dark place. I took a right. high dose. I was hallucinating. I was like, this feels fucking amazing. I'm in my <laughs> house. I don't have to go anywhere. So I'm not worried about. Right. You know, it definitely wasn't safe for me to drive in that state. And I had no intention to. But I didn't have to because it was I was in my home safe. Yeah. And it it lasted for maybe two hours at the most. And then it just wore right off. So I, I think I think psychedelics are there's so much stigma with them that people just think about a bunch of hippies taking LSD. It goes way beyond that. But here's what I got to say about LSD, because it's reframed my whole experience with LSD. When I took LSD several times as a teenager, I thought it really fucked with my mind in a bad way. I was like, this stuff is it's like my, I always felt like my brain wasn't the same after taking it in a bad way, like it took me to a dark place. But one thing I realized looking back is that it actually rewired my brain to see the world in a much different way than most people do, which allows me to see opportunities when other people don't. Like, for example, kettlebell training in 2002. Nobody saw that as an avenue of success back then. The only person teaching courses was Pavel, and he only did certs and worked with the military. Nobody took his course and was out there doing what I went on to do. They didn't see it as a viable opportunity. Nobody thought you could make a six-figure income as a fucking kettlebell instructor. Let's put it that way. But even back then, I knew, not only did I know that's possible, I knew that I would achieve that. And the first time I taught a course in Northern Virginia, I made 480 bucks in two hours and that was the most satisfying money I had ever made because I was doing something I loved. The people that came out loved it. They were cool people. And that was so empowering to me going, hey, I, I almost made 500 bucks for two hours worth of my time. You know, all I got to do is scale this and yeah. duplicate it and replicate it. And I, that's where I came up with the whole workshop models. Like I'm going to fly around the country teaching courses. Nobody was fucking doing that shit. I didn't follow anyone else's example. And every single person that's out there now teaching kettlebell workshops, whether they, whether they know it or not, they're following my blueprints because right. I was the first motherfucker to do that shit. Nobody was doing that. Not Steve Cotter, not Steve Maxwell, nobody, me. I was the first guy to do that shit. So I saw that opportunity way before it happened. You know, I, I was the one willing to put 20 kettlebells in my Honda Civic and drive from Los Angeles to fucking Phoenix, Arizona to make $300. You know, I was the one drive, would go visit my parents in Virginia and put 20 kettlebells in a rental car and drive to New York City and haul them up several stories to a to a facility that had that had no kettlebells or anything because when i taught kettlebell courses back in the day the biggest problem was always are we going to have enough kettlebells on site yeah, you know, how right. do we make sure we have kettlebells on site because it wasn't like now where there's crossfit gyms everywhere with 50 kettlebells on site nah, man now then, then <laughs> so, so what i'm saying is no one saw this as possible because of all of these impediments me on the other hand i didn't see any of that as an impediment i saw it as a fucking opportunity and that's the way my brain worked. You know, I got into the supplement business, same thing. Like when I when I started taking bulbine natalensis, I knew this thing would be huge. I was like, this is, it's like, I'm going to combine this with Makuna and Stinging Nettle Root. I was like, I got a fucking winner here. All I got to do is put this out and people are going to buy it. 10 years later, people hmm. still fucking buy it. Right. And I made my number one seller by far. I could, I could live off just the sales of my T-Booster. If that were the only product I was selling, that would pay all my bills and then some easily. So the thing is that is, these psychedelics reframe your brain. And I'm not saying it's because I took LSD as a teenager that I would, that I have this, that my brain is set like this, but I'm definitely saying it contributed to that. It shows you the possibilities. It shows you the possibilities. It's so logically about stuff. And then we take a lot of bad advice from other people. One thing I've always had as a young man is strong self-belief in my capabilities. 
So when everyone around me, parents, friends are like this kettlebell thing, I mean, this, 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 this is a joke. You're not going to go anywhere with this. None of that stuff mattered to me. It didn't, it didn't deter me in any way. I was like, you guys are just going to have to fucking watch. Just watch what I do. And then my, it was undeniable to the point where my dad had to just pull back and be like, wow, you know, he really pulled this off. You know? And initially he was very skeptical. He's like, I don't see this working out. Mike's going to go back and get a regular job probably in six months. But after several years of success, he's like, okay, you know, he did this. He pulled it off. And I remember my mom, I talked to my mom one time because when I was a teenager, I used to love watching training videos, workout stuff. I was obsessed with getting better at being stronger, building muscle. Mm. And I remember one time I was back home on college break and I was watching all these videos I got from actually a guy that was a guest on our show a long time ago, Leo Costa with the mm. Bulgarian training system. So I bought a bunch of videos from him. I was watching all these videos on exercise technique. I got a notepad out. I'm writing down notes. I'm taking care of stuff. And my mom walks in and she goes, if you, she's like, if you committed to your studies as much as you do all this training bullshit, you would have straight A's. You know, that's the way she thinks, academic. Right. And, and, and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, mom. But the funny thing is, I was like, remember when you told me that, mom, when I was 20 years old? I was like, it's a good thing I didn't listen to you because look at all the success I've achieved from my obsession with training. And then she just had to say, good for you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I didn't have supportive parents is where I'm yeah, going. I didn't right. have parents who believed in me. I didn't have parents that instilled belief. My parents were all get a degree and get a job. That's it. That's, that's as much as they figured you, that you were, that you could aspire to. They didn't think beyond that, but I didn't listen to that bullshit. You know, it's not that I disliked my parents. I just, I, I didn't care what they thought about how I wanted to live my life because I realized early on an ordinary life is not for me. Nine to five, regular job, even some bullshit business like a franchise or something I don't give a fuck about. Right. That kind of life is not for me. I'm a wild guy. I like taking risks. I have very high risk tolerance, not just in my professional life, in my personal life, every aspect of my life, my training life. I have very high risk tolerance. I'm very comfortable with risk. I, in fact, I love it. I love the feeling of I'm going to put it all on the line and this may not work out. So I better be focused and dial the shit in. I like that shit. So, so, so a regular job where you're just showing up every day at the same time and you're getting the same paycheck day in, day out, that that's soul sucking for someone like Let me. me. Tell you, man. bad for someone I, else. I get bored and it's like, and then I'll get rebellious. I'll start acting out, yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's just not a good thing. That's why working for someone else just really never worked out for me because once I realized, first of all, you know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't know how you got this position. You're like the dumbest manager ever, but you're a manager and that's all you're doing. You're just managing to keep this job, you know, but I'm like, I, this is not working for me. I'm a creative. And so I'm going to look at things a lot differently. I'm not going to sit and go with the status quo. I'm not going to sit there and live by the fucking employee <laughs> handbook and all that other dumb shit. I'm like, right. that shit sounds retarded to me. Okay. So what are you, what are you talking about? Like, well, this is how we're doing. This is the, this is the company culture. I'm like, see, so here's the problem with the word culture. It starts off with cult and that's where you lost me. Okay. So I'm like, this is not going to work. I'm like, this I, well, this is not working for me. I'm not a good fit for this. And here's the thing about me. I'm not just going to just bite my tongue and I say anything. If I see some shit that's crazy, I'm going to say something. And here's your, here's your opportunity to make me look like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. That's all you have to do. And guess what? I have an open mind. So if you can show and prove otherwise, then you know what? Give me a different perspective. And then I'm like, okay, I see your point. I get it now. I see where you're going with this, but most can't because they're not thinking they're not open-minded. They're being programmed to say certain things. They're saying things they don't believe themselves. They don't even know that they don't believe it, you know, but I can right. like, you don't even, you don't even believe what you just said. Well, no, it's like, I said, really, <laughs> you know, because no one's ever questioned them. No one's given them an opportunity to question themselves, you know? So that's why it just never really worked for me, man. And that's why I've always pretty much, I had to 
do things on my own, work for myself. I'm like, look, man, I'm not an only child, but I was raised an only child. I, I spent a lot of time by myself creating my own worlds, you know, outside of everything that was normal because everything normal was boring to me. So you know what? I did that to a large extent too, even though I'm not an only child. When, when I was in high school, I was essentially an only child because Roger's off to college. So I was the only kid yeah. in the house during my formative years. Yeah. So I can relate to what you're saying right there as a result. Yeah, so of that. That's why it kind of gets overwhelming when I'm around people who are like very family oriented and these big families and they're all just these loud dynamics and things like that. I'm just like in the beginning, like when my wife and I were first dating, you just to be right. Cause they're very family oriented. So you, I, I've been one of these people. I'm big on communications. Hell, I went to school for it, you know, along with psychology. You know, it's just, I feel like the, how can you truly communicate when everybody's talking at once? That means no one's listening. So that means nothing's getting done, you know? And so, but again, you know, it's just those dynamics, especially in different cultures, you know, whether it's the Arab culture, like my wife's family, hell, even in black culture, when they all get together, everybody's kind of just talking all at once. I've never been there because I was raised in a very, calm environment with my grandparents and it was usually quiet and and you you listen when someone's talking you he would told be quiet and listen you know and because and how else you going to understand so that's one of the things that you can ask my wife and my sister-in-law and all of them even now when they all talk uh, sometimes i just have to say hey i said you know what you know why y'all keep repeating the same stuff over and over? Because none of you are listening to each other. I said communication works a lot better if, if you all if people stop waiting their turn to talk i'm guilty of that myself i I get it i get it i'm I'm like i get it you get you got an idea in your head you don't want to forget it or whatever and so i said there are ways to interject like okay like hold on just a second i said i want to speak on that in just a second i'm gonna let you get back to it but just remind me you know not to forget blah 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 yeah so and the thing is they may still forget but the fact you said it out loud just then but without interrupting them in their flow as, as much you know you can come back to it you know, so it's, it's one of those things you got to really learn. It's communication is like this. It's like this dance, man. If you don't know how to dance, man, and really just know how to like lead and follow and or, or dance together, you know, it yeah. becomes this thing, man. So I'm one of those people. And then it's, it's more and more I get older. I don't really care anymore. <laughs> so I'm, now it's just like me being like a psychology PhD or whatever. I'm sitting in a lab. I'm just observing you know these these lab rats communicating with each other you know at this point i'm just like looking at the dynamics of everything and you know there's nothing like just being a fuck quiet and just sit back and watching watching the toy soldiers go you know because yeah. you learn so much by doing that you know i've learned so much more like i've always been one to look i love to observe things but now i truly especially in these last few years with everything that's kind of been going on just really observing people's behaviors now yeah. and, and now because i now i'm just always thinking okay, how did they get to this point? And I've always been like that, but even more so now, because I'm like, just the way people kind of just dealt with life in these last few years makes me want to war their lives like before things happened three years ago. <laughs> you know, it's like all that, that was just like a, that was just like a performing enhancing drug, you know? It just, it just highlighted what a lot of people already, their personalities were already like that, you know, no matter from whatever angle it was. So, you, you got some people just like, I'm going to do what I want to do. You're not going to tell me what to do. I know what's best for me, no matter what you're saying, because you're speaking very general. You don't know my condition or whatever. And I'm going to, I'm going to do what works best for me. And if, Hey, if things don't work out, so be it. Then you got others just like, you know, just fucking panicking and scared and not questioning things. So it's just, it, it makes me want to like, okay, there's like, I said, it just, it just showing a light on a lot of people's personalities, 
you know, big time. It just it was just interesting to watch, and not not necessarily like, oh, I'm on this side or that side. Well, most people are like, we're not. Well, you got to think this way. You got to be. I'm like, nah. I just just be. And it's, it's so esoteric. It's so simple that it's difficult when people hear that. Like, hey, man, it's like just be. Just don't try to force anything. Don't, don't even try to force the what you think is like even the way you see life and believe or whatever. Because even then, you got to ask yourself, okay, how did I get here? You know, even when I think about certain things, like, yeah, what what made me be more prejudiced to this way of thinking? And a lot yeah. of people don't want to do that. They don't want to ask themselves that. I'm like, what's influencing me to feel this way? How did right. I get here? You know, right. so because nobody wants to feel like anyone can control them like that. I'm like, hey, man, let me tell you something. <laughs> no matter how strong you are and how strong you're in your beliefs and, you know, how alpha you think you are, whatever, at some point you were beta. Yeah, yeah. So there's some point in your and, life and, where and you, at some point in some context you still are no one's yeah, exactly in context even when you're trying to be the most alpha i'm like that's probably the most beta thing ever when you tell somebody that you're alpha this yeah yeah exactly when you actually call yourself alpha that's a little pussy that, that's a big that's a big red flag right there you don't have to announce to the world that you're anything if you have it people see it right. people tell you that not you telling other people that if you, it's like when people say, look, I'm a grown ass man. Well, first of all, if you're a grown ass man, you don't have to tell people you're a grown ass man. Second of all, anytime someone says I'm a grown ass man, that means everyone's treating you like you're not because you're not, you know, I don't have to go around telling people I'm a fucking man. That's, that's evidence that people see me by the way I fucking walk and move. They know what I got. I'll say this shit jokingly, you know, depending on the context. Now the motherfuckers who live by that shit, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Like I don't have to sit there and profess. I'm a grown ass man, dog. You can talk to me that way. Oh, trust me. I don't have to tell you that (laughs) (laughs) to my, no body language says a lot. I just give you a look like, okay. Keep talking. I hear you. Keep going. <laughs> Here's some rope. Many times in my life, especially in like the last 10 years, I've had these not physical confrontations with people, but let's just say like an auditory comp- confrontation. Mm-hmm. And I look the other person dead in the eye and they know that it's that that's that they're out of their depth. You know, yeah. <laughs> they, they know that the, the animal intensity in my eye, like the way Liam McIntyre played Spartacus. I really like the way Liam played Spartacus more than Andy. Now that I've rewatched Spartacus, mm. because in season two, he's got this animalistic intensity in his eyes. Like he means business just with the look. But now, you know, looking back at that now, now, now think about this. Think about that. Think about this right here. Now, looking back, knowing what we know about what Liam was going through. I have a feeling like that played so much more into him playing that character. Yeah. You know, because so, I, I I even think about just the intensity. Like, you can watch all these films that Chadwick Boseman was in, but it was just something about the intensity of, like, when he was playing Black Panther. Now you know, like, that man was going through fucking stage four cancer at that time. Well, yeah, well, Liam Liam wasn't the one going through cancer. I mean, Andy, I mean yeah. Yeah, Andy Whitfield yeah, was. Andy, Andy. But, but yeah. Andy, as great as, Spart- as Andy was, as Spartacus, he was very Shakespearean in that role, while mm-hmm. Liam the guy who took over his role, yeah. Liam entire, he had this, he didn't try to copy Andy's model. You know, he, he captured right. the intensity that Andy had, but in my opinion, he was even more intense. Yeah. He, he brought, brought a little bit more ruggedness to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He had this, yeah. this, it was very and, dirty. Like, you know, it was just like, it was what those type of people were at that time. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like saying, it was just like, it was that dark side. <laughs> it was, it was those, it was those lost books of Shakespeare that you, when you say it was very Shakespearean, you know, it's like, those are the lost books. Like those are the books like Shakespeare. Like, yeah, I may not want to release this, 
Because uh, I don't know how the King and all them are going to feel about this. Well, I mean, here's, here's another example. When I had dinner with Matt Brown, UFC fighter Matt yes. Brown, a couple of years ago, he and I were talking. We're having a good conversation. It's very civil. But I'm looking him in the eyes, and I go, this guy's a fucking killer. Yeah. You know, this guy is not a man to be fucked with. He's a nice guy, and he's cool and all that, but he could kill you with his bare hands in seconds if you wanted yeah. to. You know, so if you meet a guy like him, and you're about to get into a street fight, and you look at someone like that in the eyes, you better be ready because he is. You know, he is. Matt said when he used to get into street fights as a young man, he couldn't wait to get outside. Like he's in a bar fight. He couldn't wait to I mean, get outside. You, you see that. Fight. I mean, you saw that. Just other, other people are petrified. They're pissing their pants trying to psych themselves up. He's excited. He's like, oh, man, I can't wait to get out there and get into this fight. Yeah. I mean, you can see that just from his career, you know, in the yeah. UFC. It's just like he's not turning. He's not turning down any fights. It's like, hey, I'm available. Him, he's, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He's a yeah. super cool guy. Now, he's a very intelligent guy, too. So he's not like he's some savage, but he right. has that savage. But he's a savage. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a he's, sav- a savage. he's not a he's savage, but he's a savage. He's a savage, but he's not all consumed by savagery. Yeah, he he's, like, he's not going around looking for a fucking fight. But yeah, he saves fight. the savagery for the for the octagon. He doesn't, he's right. not out there. You know, anyone who comes up to him and tries to talk to him, he's super friendly, carries himself really well. But yeah. you look him in the eyes and you're like, this is not a man to fuck with, is what right. I'm saying. You can see it. If you, even if you didn't know anything about him, like you didn't know he's an MMA fighter, you didn't know anything. You were just met him on the street and you were talking to him. You're like, oh, you know, this guy's got some intensity in those eyes. Better not get on his bad side. Yeah. It's like one of my buddies, Um, like I said, he, I forgot how many tours he did. He's a Marine. He's like, he jokes and everything. You know, he's the life, he's the life of the party. You know, everybody's thinking like, oh my God, this dude's like, he's the coolest dude ever, whatever. But all it takes, man. But it's like he see like if you know him, you'll know when he's he's on. He's on, but you'll never know he's on if you don't know what to, to recognize. So we can be like in a group setting or whatever else, and I can just see somebody walk through the door and I, he can just sit there and he's got everybody laughing, he's joking and blah blah. But then there's a part of him that sees something, you know, and everybody else is still laughing or whatever else. And I'm sitting like, oops. So it makes me look at the like who just walked in. And then we just kind of give this glance with each other and just, we, we do this mental head nod. We don't have to do it physically, but it's like, it's like, I, I see what, you, I see what you see. Okay. And he just goes right back to just getting on with his jokes, or whatever. But I'm like, people have no idea. So you got somebody walking in and looking like, who the fuck is this dude? Got everybody laughing or whatever. And I'm just kind of thinking to myself, please don't come over here with that bullshit because you have no idea. It's like, it's like he can hit that switch so quickly. So quickly, but he's one of those people. It's a big like, difference between guys who have it and those that are overcompensating, and it's very evident to yeah. people like me. You know, I can tell when someone's overcompensating, oh. and I can tell when someone isn't, and I can also tell how thirsty young men are for male role models that they feel have it together and can guide them through life. I mean, the other right. day at the gym, I was doing heavy leg presses, and I was taking the plates off, and this one teenager just came up to me out of nowhere. He's like, "Hey, I can help you take all those plates off if you want." I was like, oh, do you want to use this next? He's like, no, I just wanted to help out. And I, and I said, you know what? That's really nice of you to offer. I don't, want, I don't want to impose on you like that, though, but I really appreciate you offering that. But this is a guy that he's just trying to find a way to talk to me. You know, because right. he sees what I'm doing. And something about me appeals to him where he's like, I need to talk to that guy. Right. So he's trying to do me a favor, which is a nice gesture. You know? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know, again, hey, here's, here's the thing for all you people out there trying to start businesses or whatever, or you want to do partnerships. You see what happens is like, don't sit there and think about what can this person do for me do something for them find a way in where you can do something for them and make yourself an asset yeah. to them you know no, that's, that's, what, that's what, that was my philosophy in my career from day one you know that's why like, I what do you bring to the fucking table you know and so that's what this kid's like he said look man 
dude's got about 50 plates on this damn machine right here. It's like, you know, here's <laughs> one. He's like, well, first of all, I'll just get my workout on just from removing all these plates. I'm like, I'll be done for the day at least. <laughs> right. I mean, half my half the benefits of my workout are taking all the plates off. I know, man. It's just like it's like I get all my I don't even do core training anymore because what I do is I take one plate off at a time, yeah. and then I farmer walk it back to to the other side yep. of the gym. Yeah, so my abs are contracted the whole time. And if you got fucking eight plates on each side, that's sixteen plates. Sixteen. Yep. Yeah. So then you sit there. It's like, okay, you got to walk. My abs are sore from all that. It's like, I don't need to do jack shit. (laughs) And we're done for the day. First of all, I'm getting ab workout. Every time I do heavy squats or overhead press or. or, You're doing anything compound. You're getting an ab workout if you're doing it right. Nordic curls curls work your abs big time, especially when you first start doing them. And nothing hits your hamstrings and glutes harder than Nordic curls. Nothing. You know, I'm so excited to be able to do Nordic curls because as you know, I've been, I've had this Nordic curl device for fucking 10 years. I couldn't do one rep if my life depended on it. Even when I could deadlift 600 pounds, I couldn't do one rep on a Nordic curl at gunpoint. And it was, it was, it always irritated me when I saw it. I mean, I've had this thing forever and I've never got around to it. It was like, I was one of those moves I always wanted to get good at, but it's also one of those moves that's hard to believe that it's even possible because it's so difficult when you first start trying, you're like, man, how am I ever going to get to a concentric rep doing this? I can't even lower under control, but I I just broke it down over the year. I, I just did worked on negatives, worked on pauses, worked on partial reps. You just systematically break this shit down. You keep coming at it from different angles. And sure enough, you know, now I can bang out reps, complete reps, no problem. And in, in the my, my goal was to do five full range reps before the end of the year. You know, I achieved that a month ago, and now I'm just making my technique even better. And it's so empowering to to go from not being able to do one fucking rep on that thing to I can go in the garage right now and bang out five reps, not warmed up. Anytime I want, I can do it. And my hamstrings and glutes have never been more well developed. You know, that's why I see guys checking out my ass every time I go anywhere. <laughs> Now it's like I'm walking down and I, I turn around and there's some guys turning around looking at my ass and I'm like, oh, hey, <laughs> like look, I have a better ass than most women, so I get it. <laughs> <laughs> women wish they had an ass like mine. <laughs> if I were out there begging broads, I would have to grab my own ass. <laughs> <laughs> just grab her hand and put it back there, like here, hold on to this. <laughs> like, hold on. It's like, did you just slap your own ass? Like, yeah, I had to. You don't even have an ass. What am I going to do with your ass? You're like, going straight buck. <laughs> you're going straight buck cherry on our ass. <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> so yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so psychedelics to ass slapping, you know, that's the way. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I don't want to make it sound like psilocybin is a cure-all for everything and that people should just indiscriminately go out there and start using it. I'm saying that I found it very beneficial for me. I can't promise what it's going to do for anyone else. Everyone's going to have a different experience. But if you're dealing with lifelong depression or you're dealing with serious mental health issues, it's certainly worth looking into mm-hmm. and and experimenting with, in my opinion. Now, again, I'm a very, I have very high risk tolerance. Like Carol always says, you know, Mike, you, you just take shit. You know, you, he's like, you always take more than the recommended doses. You just try shit all the time. I was like, yeah, that's why I'm so knowledgeable about peptides and SARMs and supplements because I use, I'm, I'm talking from experience, not just research. Right. So or, or reading somebody's blog post, you know, right. and acting like, you know, right. like you're the expert now because you memorized. Yeah. So somebody's- I'm all about experiencing things in life. You know, I, like I, I love spending money on experiences. I'm not a materialistic guy. I don't care about yep. fancy cars. I already have a house. I don't need another one. I don't care about fancy clothes, expensive watches. None of that stuff means anything to me. 
but I will blow money on experiences. I'll pay fucking a thousand dollars a ticket for a front row of my favorite performer, whoever it is, won't even hesitate because that's an experience you'll remember for the rest of your life. That's money well spent, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, yep. I mean, I have such high risk tolerance that I, I, w- I won't just fuck a hooker. I'll fuck a hooker without a condom on in public. Now, that's the kind of risk tolerance I have. <laughs> but not only am I going to raw dog you, lady, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to do this shit in public where we may, <laughs> I may get arrested for multiple reasons. <laughs> oh, man. Take your ass to Europe with that shit. <laughs> it's like when you were talking about one of our mutual friends' son, like you know, he was playing it too safe. You're like, look, man, he needs to get out there and get into some trouble. Go get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a funny thing to say because I knew exactly what you meant by shit like that. Look, there's you don't get anywhere in life by playing things too safe. You just don't. Exactly. Don't. Like, like, like one thing Silas Seven allowed me to do is it allowed me to see things that I felt were negative experiences as positive experiences. And it's not a trick of the mind. It just reframes it. So when I look right. back on my childhood abuse, I don't see it as a negative anymore. I see it as a defining moment where as a five-year-old kid, I was subjected to serious adversity and I survived that shit. I persevered as a fucking five-year-old. You know, so what's going to happen as an adult that's going to be worse than that? Well, uh, a, I mean, yeah. like, basically, you know, in, in comic book terms, that was your origin story. That's where yeah, it began. Exactly. That's the way I look <laughs> at it. That's the way I look at it. And then I also look at my face being burned. That made me stronger, too, because it was one more thing you had. to. I, I was very self-conscious about it and insecure. And I was like, but look, I, I want to be successful in the fitness business. So I got to be in front of people. There's no way to hide this. So I'm right. just going to have to put it out there. And the reality is, is most people don't care. It's all in your head. But if it's in your head, it feels real. It's not because yeah. other people were like, oh, man, what happened to your face? Your face is fucked up. You know, it's, it's, I can think of like maybe one or two people that said stupid shit like that throughout my entire life. People who came to my courses, I'm sure they noticed my face, but they weren't sitting there going, man, his face is fucked up. I wonder what happened to him. You know? right. it's, it's, and if they did, so what? You, know, you can think whatever you want. I don't care. So it just allows you to see things that you felt were negative experiences in a positive light. And then when I look at my brother, my brother was – that the same lady who sexually assaulted me tried to sexually assault him, but Roger was a little bit older and he fought her off. So she left him alone. And then Roger is a guy who's everything is always worked out for him in the sense that he's never experienced serious adversity the way I have. Now he'll say, Oh, I had this paragliding accident. I broke my leg and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. But my parents were there to pay all your medical bills and pay your rent and all that shit while you were going through it. It's not like you had a job and a family and then you had to deal with recovering from that as well. So Roger's always Roger's always taking the easier path is where I'm going. Not always, or, or, always for some reason shit just works out for him. Yeah. But <laughs> but it's to his own demise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's self, the thing about it. It's like, okay, his self-development like, is not even in the ballpark of mine. As like, I don't take a risk because you know shit's gonna be taken care of. So I don't have to worry. You know, somehow shit just works out. Well, he's so worried about something not going right that he won't even try. He's got the opposite problem. Yeah. He's like, oh, I don't want to. He's like, oh, Mike had a bad experience with his first wife, so I don't want to marry my girlfriend because maybe I'll have a bad experience too because he did. Like, well, <laughs> and and you're like, you're like, look, man, the only way she can go wrong for you if you marry my first wife. Okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then who knows? It I, might work out for him. Safe, Somebody, she, he might just be her well, type. Shit, who knows? After after Carol and I moved from Los Angeles, it was, it was it was me, Carol, and Roger sharing an apartment because Carol was just. You know, Carol was in between apartments. I said, just come live with us. You know, she's staying in my room, of course, and all that. So anyway, that was a couple of months like that. And then, then I was like, look, we need to get our own place. 
But then we're thinking, let's get out of Los Angeles too, because it's so expensive here. Let's go to Vegas and get a house and all that. So we, we, we made the decision to move. Now, Roger had to make a decision himself. Should he stay in Los Angeles and keep pursuing this film stuff? Or what, what should he do? Because he's not coming with us. You know, it's not like he, we, like, yeah, come stay with us at the house. You know, that wasn't there. It's like, no, this is couples time. It's just going to be me and her and Mona, you know, my dog at the time. And so the right move for him would have been to stay in Los Angeles and keep going down this path. The wrong move is the one he made. He moved back to my parents' house in Virginia. Why the fuck did you move back there? What the fuck is in Virginia? The only thing there is free rent. Safety. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But when you play it safe in life, it's not, it doesn't, it's not beneficial to you. Man, when you play it safe, it's dangerous. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) it is. Put that on a t shirt. You don't get strong (laughs) lifting light weights. You got to put it on the line. Now, if you want to get really strong, it's going to be dangerous. No matter how good your technique is, things can go wrong. But that's the, that's the risk you're willing to take to get the result you want. And if you do it strategically, it's unlikely that you're going to get super injured. But that possibility is already always there, and you have to go into it accepting that. So, I mean, it's every people who play it so safe in life, they're always boring as fuck, too. Let's be honest, man. People that have not been through adversity are boring people. They're not remotely interesting. No. They don't have shit going on. They are they are the epitome of the same old same old. When you ask them like, "Hey, what's going on with you?" Well, and, then they have they have this totally not not unrealistic positivity, but there's no reason to be that positive about everything. You know, it's just so fake is where I'm going, and it's because they're they're that positive because things have always worked out for them. They never went through childhood trauma or any kind of abuse. You know, they didn't deal with the fucking racism I dealt with my entire life. You know, imagine being half Indian, half. Uh, half Indian, half white. And so, so, you know, you've been you've been treated like a black man so long. You, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, look, I, 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 I Chubby half Indian, half black. Wait a minute. Damn it, <laughs> look, man. I've been treated like a black man so much that I, I almost feel I almost feel comfortable using the N word with other black people. No, I don't. I don't do that. But I almost feel like it would be acceptable if I did. You know, that's how comfortable I am. Oh, with shit. That shit. Because I'm not white. I'm not a white man saying that shit. I'm a guy who's been fucking. Look, I, I've been called the N word more than a lot of black people I know. Carol's never been called the N word to her face. I tell her about all my racism stories. She's like, wow, you know, I, I never went through anything like that. <laughs> so I've got this interesting perspective that, that that's all beneficial, too. Because it allows me to have a lot of empathy for people. You know, I'm not black. I don't pretend to be black. I don't try to be black. I don't try to act black. But I have a lot of empathy for black people that they can feel and see. And that's why I always get along with black people because they know I get it. They know that on a visceral level, I get it. They, they can talk about that shit with me. And I'm not just someone going, oh, that's terrible. You know, I, they, they, I, they know I get it. And that's a good thing. You know, that's only positive. Right. Like if you're if you're married to a black woman or you're with a black woman, as sophisticated as Carol is, she's still a black woman, and it takes so if she's going to go outside her race to be with a guy, some fucking dorky white dude who doesn't know jack shit about black culture. It's not going to vibe. It's like, oh yeah, I want the pretty black girl as my girlfriend. I was like, yeah, that's not enough, man. You know, you, you don't get you don't get the minority experience because you can't. It's impossible for you to get the minority experience. You know, and you're not even trying. Now, that's the thing about white people. Yeah, that's why. Don't, don't, not, don't. Not only do white people not get the minority experience, they're not even trying to understand. <laughs> Black people and all of us minorities, we have to learn how to navigate in white people's world. But they don't mm-hmm. have to learn how to navigate in our world. No, oh, you made the rules. It's like <laughs> We understand white people way more than they understand us is where I'm going. Maybe more than they understand themselves. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, yeah. Just to be honest, you know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> 
And There's a lot of shit they take for granted that we don't because we can't take it for granted. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a war on white people. There's a war on white males, you know, according, yeah. to, the inter- <laughs> according to the internet. I'm like, I'm like well, there's a war on white males. There's a war on white males. It's probably started by white males. So, yeah. it's, so it's that, white- I, I, when I hear a white man talk about how they're a marginalized group now, I was like, get the fuck out of here with that. You have no idea what it being marginalized means. You have no fucking idea. So that, that's and usually when someone's saying that, I'm like, okay, so I think it's just not in your case, buddy. It's not a racial issue. It's a class issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, this is a class. Like, okay, it's a, there's a war on poor white people, and if that's the case, come on over here with the other marginalized people now. Yeah. <laughs> to my, go ahead and admit, like, okay, you're not that special now. You're over here with us. To my, right, look, give, I said, but here's the deal. I said, even though you're a poor white man, now you're feeling the same shit as a rich black man. <laughs> okay, because. There's a much wealthier white man that gives a shit about either one of us at the end of the day. One, one time I went, I went hiking with my friend, Julia. We went to Red Rock. It was me, her, and Raina. We just went out there for the day to go hiking. Super cool girl. Anyway, as we pulled into Red Rock, I went to pay the admission fee. And that this old white guy was rude as fuck. You know, he looked at me with hatred in his eyes. So I knew immediately he was a racist asshole. And he probably assumed that you know, Julia's my girlfriend. So he's like, oh, here's this N-bomb with one of my people. You know, so he immediately didn't like me. And then, so I told the guy to fuck off. And he was being rude. I was like, go fuck yourself, man, you fucking rude asshole. You know, I said, I said something to that effect. And I, so, so I, I saw his anger. She's like, wow, you really lost it. I was like, trust me, that's not me losing it. You know, me losing it is, is like a nuclear response where fucking, you know, there, there's going to be rubble everywhere if I lose it, okay? That wasn't me losing it. That was me reacting to a guy that I knew blatantly was, he didn't have to say anything. The way he looked at me with hatred in his eyes, I knew he was racist as fuck. Or and he, he, could was, be married, he could have been married to a very hideous, ugly, fat woman who just who treats him like shit and bosses him around. And he's looking at you like, look at this motherfucker. So I can't get my wife to hike anywhere. I can't get her to hike to the backyard. What I'm saying is, look, I've had people look at me with hatred in their eyes. I know right. the look. It's yeah. happened to me many times in my life. I was walking to work one time when I was in Ohio on these two fucking white guys in a in a pickup truck with a rebel flag on it saw me and they both one guy yelled out the window yeah you fucking m-bomb and blah 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 and then the look in their face of pure hatred is what i remember the most well they live in rural ohio man they're angry <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the real question is what the fuck was i doing there that's the real question. like hey mike we understand why they were there now why were you <laughs> what made you think that going to college <sighs> for ohio was a good idea <laughs> But what's funny is I would meet these black people that were all private school kids and you know, they grew up around white people. They never experienced racism in their life, at least not blatant. And I would be taking a class on minority issues. And then all of a sudden they tried to be Malcolm X. You know, all of a sudden they wanted to be oppressed. About how oppressed. I was like, oh, please, man. I was like, you didn't even know you were, you didn't even know what racism was until you took this class. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling, I'm, like, I'm going to fucking talk about my experiences. Forget about what you read in a book somewhere. You're reading in a book somewhere about things that happened to your ancestor. Now you're pissed. And that's good. You should be pissed. But it didn't happen to you. You know, you, that's not your personal experience. It is my personal experience, though. So I fucking understand this shit better than you do, ironically. They're basically a living episode of the the reboot of uh, Bel Air that's on Peacock now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, like, oh, 
you, you're doing racism first time. First time, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, no, it was amusing for me to see that shit. I was like, man, I'm more black than you people are. That's, <laughs> that's the sad thing here, man. I'm more fucking black. I understand the black experience more than any of these black people that went to private school. And to, are now to hear them say, like, I can't oh. believe this is happening. Like, why the fuck not? <laughs> like, why, why? Why is it you can't believe that? Like, are I know. you serious? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a... Like but I, I did, walk, but I'm a good person. Walk, I'm, I'm like, so ignorance doesn't care that you're a, a good person. You know, well, I mean, the other day, I mean, I told you about the story of her. I walked by someone's house in my old neighborhood and he was watching a football game, yelling the N word out as, as loud as possible. Fuck uh-huh. you. N bomb. Fuck you. N bomb. Selling uh-huh. it like yelling it out like a raving lunatic. And I was like, wow, you know, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't heard that kind of vitriol in a long time. So it just stuck out of my mind. And then the other day I was walking past their house with two people I'm friendly with at the park. I was walking by this fucking racist asshole's house and they're like, they're like, Oh yeah, this guy's dog over here is not well-behaved. I was like, yeah, he's also a fucking racist asshole. Now I was like, I walked by his house a couple of months ago and I heard him yelling out the N word as loud as possible. And then the one lady, white lady, she's like, Oh, what was he watching? You know, what was the content? What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, like, I, go, I go, it doesn't matter. I got so mad when she said that. I was like, it doesn't fucking matter what the context is. Like, what, look, was he, this, what was he this watching? Guy, this guy can yell out whatever he wants in the privacy of his home. Okay, that's fine with me. You want to be a racist asshole and yell at the M bomb in your house? That's your house. Do whatever the fuck you, you know want. What you should do. But, <laughs> but I know you're a racist asshole now. So if I ever see you walking around, I'm not going to come at you with any respect. I'm going to look a, at you. Like, yeah, I know you're a racist pussy. Call me that fucking shit right now. No, I'll do you. I'll do you one better. Here's a fun experiment. Start talking about maybe you and Jarvis should start taking a walk around the neighborhood. Let Jarvis walk in front of this house. Yeah. Let's see well, Jarvis, how- who I'm talking about. I've told him about this guy, and Jarvis is like, Yeah, I've, you know, I get, that guy always looks at me with like this hatred in his eyes. I was like, Yep, I, I, now you know why. <laughs> Every time he sees you, Jarvis, that's but what he's doing. He's well, he, he may be racist, but he's not stupid. Notice that he looks at Jarvis with hatred in his eyes, he's not out screaming that word while watching anything else while Jarvis is walking by. No, no, Jarvis is a bad dude. No, if, if, no, no one fucks with that guy. That's what I'm saying. Wants, that's what I said. That's a funny experiment. Like, let's see if he funny. yells that shit when this Jarvis guy, This guy's by. driving by giving an angry look. He wouldn't be walking by doing that. Because <laughs> Jarvis is the kind of guy that'll confront someone, too. Yeah, that's what I was saying. He'd be like, yeah, we got a problem here? Why are you looking at me like that? And he'll be like, <laughs> he'll be like so that. This is a nice, fun experiment. That's why I said that. <laughs> yeah. And he's a big dude. He's like my height, 20 yeah. pounds heavier than me. He's a big dude. Super friendly guy, but he's his not name a guy. is Jarvis, man. Okay, yeah. you're not gonna find name, a small, skinny dude named Jarvis that's black. No, his name yeah. is Jarvis. His name is Jarvis Dudley. That's about as black of a name. <laughs> <I've ever heard>. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw that it's name, not, in a, it sounds like you saw that name on a piece of paper. You know unequivocally he's a black man. And I and I already know that. Okay, he, he's gonna be about the size of a linebacker. You have to be with a name like Jarvis Dudley. <laughs> that's what he looks like. He looks like a former professional football player. <laughs> Like he's not going to look like no, he's not, he's not going to look like Urkel with a name like that. I'm happy to say that while he's bigger than me, he's nowhere near as strong as I am. But that's another story. <laughs> I just say I can take his deadlift and do it ten times. All right, <laughs> and that makes me feel good. <laughs> he's also a big fan of my team booster, so he supports my business. That also makes me feel good. <laughs> No, it's true. It's true. So, but the thing is, I'm not surprised by shit like that because I've experienced it. But what I am, and I'm not surprised that white people are so clueless where this lady is trying to fucking, she, she thinks that there's some appropriate context where it's okay for him to yell that out. There isn't. There's no context where that's appropriate. Now, it tells me that you're a racist asshole. If that's the way you talk in the privacy of your home, you're a fucking racist asshole. So if I see you walking around, 
We're not going to say hello. I'm not going to say how you're doing. We're not going to do any of that shit. We're not going to exchange pleasantries. Hmm. I'm not going to pretend that we're all cool here. Now you come at me with that kind of racist vitriol, or not even come at me. I just hear it. I just overhear it addressed uh, addressed towards someone else. <clears throat> I take that shit personally. You know, I'm going to remember that. Hey man, a very wise black woman once said, "When people tell you who they are, believe them the first time." Is that Maya Angelou? Yes, that? sir. <laughs> yes, I, yes. I, I love Maya Angelou. She's awesome. Hard to believe she's yeah, friends with Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> you and your Oprah fixation. Every every time. Oh, someone... oh she, it just got worse with this whole thing that's going on with, with Hawaii. <laughs> it's like... I know, but every time someone sends me a clip about Oprah doing anything, I always think of you. Like your like your facial expression if someone said like Oprah. <laughs> Carol Carol's a big fan of Oprah, but she doesn't want she doesn't want to hear it. You know, she doesn't want to hear any country. That's, that's like people don't want to hear shit about Beyonce. I'm like, do y'all do you, you do you really do you really know who you're like a fan of? Do you really know? Well, the whole grooming story you said about Jay-Z and Beyonce, that was news to me. I never knew that. Yeah. 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 It's just Oh, um, the, the, the final thing I gotta talk to you about before we before we wrap up is I read that guy's book, that guy who wrote about being on the download, that black dude. Mm-hmm. Forget his name, but the book was famous like fucking fifteen years ago. Man, that book is something else. He you're really. About, you're not talking about Elon Harris, are you? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah, he, he had a, goes, he had a whole series of those into, books. Yeah, he goes into very before all the shit like is popular now. Like it was still underground and still like not spoken of. Like let's say like the late '80s and in the '90s, especially, especially like in Atlanta. Well, well, what's what's your opinion on his assessment that this is prevalent in the black community? Is it really prevalent in the black community among black men? This down low behavior, especially especially those who are like of a certain class. Yeah, I mean, coming from the music industry, some of your favorite artists they're not as masculine as they pretend to be. Yeah, okay, you know, and there's there's stories, there's things, there are things that we've seen, there's things that we know, and there's things that we just don't talk about. <laughs> you know, it's just like um, because at the end of the day, it's like, hey, if that's your preference. Again, as long as you're not assaulting somebody against their their will, or as long as you're not fucking with kids, I don't give a damn what you do. At the end of the day, no kids, yeah. no rape. That's all I gotta say. So if it's consenting adults, I give two shits. But again, don't do stuff against someone's will, and don't fuck with any kids. That's it. I don't care. So when someone, hey man, you know so and so, you know he's on down. I don't care. Somebody was he fucking with a kid? No, just you know he's messing with this other artist. Oh, so what? Who cares? You know. But as soon as you start, like I said, you start crossing that line and messing with kids, or you're assault, sexually assaulting somebody, or whatever else, that's a diff- that's a different issue. You're scum. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But if you and this other dude, or you two chicks are like consenting, and y'all. Well, adults? I mean, the, the, funny, the funny part is how they try to reframe it as like, no, I'm not gay, I'm not bisexual. No, he, no, he goes down right on me. I don't, I don't go down on him. I'm well, straight. some of these guys that I mean, some of these guys that he said that a lot of times it's these really masculine black dudes who want to get drilled in the ass. You know, it's not always like them on top. He's like, hey, man, at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, you like what you like. No, I'm, I, I don't have any job. <laughs> no, I I'm saying, like, I, I, I think the, what I happens is society exactly. has to label things so much that that's where people are like, oh, I'm not this, I'm not that. I'm like, dude, what if, if that's what gets you, if that's what you like, that's what you like, don't worry about what other people think. No, you know, I agree. In the day. You know, so I'm like, who cares? And especially these days, just like when people got announced, like, oh, no, just like when people have to get on TV and have to come out, I'm like, 
Who cares? Like, yeah. oh, I just want to, you know, it's a big press conference. Like, oh, I just want to let people know I, I'm, you know, I, I've been wrestling with this for years, but, you know, I'm gay. Okay, but then there's <laughs> always somebody that's like, well, that's good because there are people out there, you know, who don't have the courage right now. When they see that, they become encouraged. I'm like, here's the issue. It's your private life. Let it be private. Who gives a fuck? Just no, like, look, look, look just like, me. If I wanted to go out, if I if I loved going out there and just fucking ass all day long, left and right, I would do it. <laughs> exactly. And, and guess what? Whatever, it's nobody's whatever, business. Whatever I want to do in life, I'm doing. You know, exactly. I don't, and it's nobody's don't business. Just people. like, just like all these people that these couples that get out and act like they're the super couples. Whatever. Like, take for instance, Steve Harvey. You know, his wife just cheated on him, and now they're getting divorced. I said, you really? Know I didn't know that. Really? Oh how, yeah. How oh recent, man, she's fucking the bodyguard. She was fucking the bodyguard, dude. How, and, how recent was? But how here's the deal. Why is it? And everybody's in an uproar about it. I'm like, I said, well, see, this is what happens when you you go above and beyond to prove like, okay, you writing books, you know, think like a man, act like a lady and all this stuff, even though you've been divorced like three or four times when you wrote this book and you're a cheater yourself and you were the woman, she cheated on you, but you cheated on your last wife with this woman, you know, who was also a serial cheater. Why does anybody, right. but then everybody's all in uproar and this, it's a story, it's a thing and everybody's all invested in these people's lives you know i'm like why because your life sucks so much that you gotta be invested who cares no who i don't cares? i don't give a fuck about any of that shit that's i'm like sure. i said here's I, the thing i got i got my own life to live i'm not exactly like, here's what you go. learn from that i'm like so she threatens like you divorce me you gotta give me half i'm like here's what we can learn it's like here's the story you take from that prenup this this is what you learn from this story prenup okay especially when you know you you're marrying a thought you get a prenup you know who she is. Don't act like it's anything else. Just like you marry a stripper. Come on. When she does stripper things later on in life, don't be surprised. Okay. You knew who she was from day one. So don't fool yourself in thinking that you can change them. Only they can change themselves. And so at the end of the day, just calm down. But like people get so wrapped up in all these celebrities and all this other stuff because their lives suck. They, they're not going out and getting their own experiences. So they're experiencing through these people and they're sitting there and, here's the thing that kills me here's the thing that kills me <laughs> a lot of times like like certain friends from the past or whatever like we still communicate every now and then like on ig or whatever through dm or whatever you know we all send memes you and i all of us but a lot of times people are just like my old life will send me these memes and it'll be about these it'll be some celebrity i don't even know who the fuck they are i'm, I'm like am i becoming a boomer like i don't even know who this is <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and, and they'll, they'll send me stuff like i'm supposed to know what this is about i'm like and the thing is i don't care enough to go google it i don't care so i just don't even reply i'm like they'll learn or they won't i don't care i don't even know who these people are because i don't have time i'm living my life it's like shit man but it, what just kills me is just like with this whole steve harvey thing is like like it's everywhere everywhere it's like even when i'm trying to be on a financial website well here it is because you know he's investing all this other shit i go on a cigar website and then all of a sudden the algorithm's like oh by the way <laughs> since you like cigars and steve harvey likes cigars his wife's <laughs> cheating on him it's like it's like oh since you like to invest steve harvey was at invest fest and he's also getting a divorce because he's about to lose half his money i'm like go away already like i don't care jeez but yeah, man. So on that note, <laughs> so we went from psilocybin to, you know, Mike having a better ass than women, you know, to, <laughs> we got to, some Mike, good to Mike being confused that, you know, he's half Indian, half black, white. 
I'm so used to being, look, I got a black wife. Everybody thinks I'm black. I'm starting to believe it. Like, fuck it, man. I'm mostly black. Maybe that psilocybin opened up something that you you weren't ready to deal with. Maybe you are, man. Maybe that's the other half. The the, the funny thing I always joke with Carol about is because, no, she doesn't. She doesn't find black men unattractive, but she never had a strong affinity for black men. Like she's like my wife with Arab men. Yeah, yeah, she she's excited, yeah, she doesn't get excited by black men like sexually, but she, you know, she's like, yeah, there's a lot of good looking black men out there. They just don't do it for me in that respect. But she ended up with a guy who everyone thinks is a black man. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't getting a black man, but damn it. <laughs> I, I always say you lucked out with me because I, I'm I'm not actually black, so I, I have a unique look, but I understand black people really well which is good for her as well because she's so used to dating these white guys that are clueless she didn't realize how important that is to actually be with the guy who gets it you know gets the whole thing (laughs) so yeah there you go and and then we finish it off like hey don't marry a thought thinking that she's gonna become this this great wife and she's not gonna revert back to her thought ways especially and that includes you if you were a man whore (laughs) Expect that shit to come back full circle. I mean, okay. what, it, what, it, what it comes down to is if you like getting drilled in the ass, more power to you. You know, accept it, enjoy it. Have hey, fun man, it. it's your ass. It's your <laughs> yeah, ass. It's your, it's your ass, man. Exactly. I just ask that you use Vaseline <laughs> because I don't want I don't want to see you out in public walking funny because I already automatically gonna know why that happened. And I don't need that in my life. <laughs> he's walking like he's got a stick up his ass. Well, actually. <laughs> Well, not right now. That was last night. <laughs> he's still feeling it. Though. Clearly, he's still feeling it. <laughs> oh. And on that uh, note, but we'll catch y'all on the next wrap episode. Before it gets, we, this is starting to go into totally negative. We're going to wrap this shit I was about up. Let's go to a dark place, but we are talking about getting drilled in the ass. So, I mean, hey, it get any darker than that. But uh, anyway. Yeah, one of the, <laughs> it's one of the darkest places in the universe. <laughs> The annals of time, okay? (laughs) (laughs) On that note, I'm out, man. We will catch you on the next episode. Take care. Take care. That wraps up this week's Live Life Aggressively show. Be sure to head over to MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Use the coupon code LLA12 and receive 12% off of your total purchase at either of those websites. Also, for more personal protection tips, make sure you head over to NewWarriorDefense.com. Support the production of the Live Life Aggressively show by heading over to Patreon.com and becoming a patron. Simply go to Patreon.com slash LLA podcast. All Patreon subscribers receive Patreon-only access to our brand new show, Afterlife, which is a brand new behind-the-scenes episode that is not available to the public. Our Patreon subscribers also get to enjoy bigger discounts on all of our products by receiving Patreon-only discount codes beginning at 15% off on all products on MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Lastly, be sure to share the episode by following us on social media, on Facebook, as well as our new account on Instagram. Until the next episode, take care, everybody.